church. It's really great to be here today and get the opportunity to teach and preach. Um, it has been really cool these last four weeks to have, um, to do this spiritual gift survey um, or, or series uh, that we've done while Todd's been on sabbatical. Um, for those of you who missed Todd, this is the last week. I'm the caboose. Um, I'm the tail end of, of the series and Todd will be back next week, or actually he'll be back next Sunday and I think he's back in the office on Tuesday for the first time. Uh, a week from Tuesday. So, um, so continue to pray for him and Jeannie as they're on uh, their sabbatical and just this is a, a, a refreshing time for them and um, just that they're going to come back um, rejuvenated and, uh, and it'll just be a good opportunity that this last week will be good for them. Um, it has been really cool to hear the different pastors have, have Dr. Norbeck start out uh, the series and, and have Eric and um, Don Erickson preached the last couple weeks, um, and just hearing uh, them preaching has been really awesome. Dr. Norbeck opened up the series talking about Christmas, and I thought I would tell you guys a Christmas story to end this with. Um, the year was either 1981 or 1982. Little Mark uh, was in either uh, first, second, or third grade, depending. I'm not 100% sure where I was at. And it was Christmas, and we had a rule at our house at Christmas time. The, the children, my brother and I, I was the oldest, were not allowed to wake up our parents till time X. Now, I don't know what time X was that year, but I do know for a fact that I was up long before time, long, long before time X. And so I'm laying there in my bed trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I was a pretty uh, rebellious child. And so um, my thoughts were that I was going to sneak downstairs and just look at the presents. Just looking at them would probably calm me down and let me fall back asleep, right? <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember being a first, second, or third grader and walking downstairs when you're not supposed to. But do you know that every single step is an earthquake? I mean, I remember like sneaking down these steps trying to be really sneaky. And I'm downstairs as far away from my parents' bedroom as I can, and the house squeaked, and I'm sure I'm grounded for life and none of these presents are mine. But we had this big fireplace next to the, near the, the fireplace, or we had a big fireplace next to the, the Christmas tree down in the family room. And I, when I walked downstairs, on the mantel was this. As a second grade boy, do you know what this meant? I mean... This was amazing. <laughs> I don't even know how I could respond, but it is up on top of this mantle, and I'm staring at this, and my world has been shaken. I am officially the coolest kid on the entire planet right now, um, and I can't touch it. Like, it's up on a mantle that's far too high for me, and I have, I don't even know how many hours before I can even think about touching this thing. So... Of course, what do I do? Because I'm a good big, big brother, I wake my brother up. <laughs> and we both sneak downstairs because I couldn't even tell him this existed. Like, you have to see this to believe it. And so we sneak downstairs, and we're like, ah! 
we have an AT-AT. <laughs> this was right after Empire Strikes Back came back. I mean, I remember vehemently arguing with people. I mean, like, vehemently arguing with people that there is no way on God's green earth that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. That is impossible, and he's a liar. And, uh, and this gift was sitting there. Now, finally, when we could wake up and come downstairs, my parents, my dad, uh, told us that we couldn't play with this until we opened all of our other gifts. I have this pile of gifts that means nothing to me. <laughs> this is all that matters. I mean, I, got an, I think I got an X-Wing fighter that year, and I think I got a TIE fighter, and I got this Darth Vader helmet that's like this big that could carry all of my action figures in, and none of it mattered. All I wanted to do was play with this. This was 1980. One, 1982, and I still have it. <laughs> Was there ever a doubt? There was a gift that I could not wait to open up, as Dr. Norbeck said four weeks ago. There was a gift that I could not wait to experience myself. There was a gift that I could not wait to share with my friends, mostly to make them feel jealous, but also because it was a lot of fun to have people come over and play with my ATAT. This was really cool. And to this day, I remember that feeling walking down when I wasn't supposed to and finding that, that gift that my parents had got for me that is literally just a chunk of plastic But it meant so much to me. We're going to talk about gifts today. And I'm assuming most of you, when we talk about spiritual gifts, don't get excited as first grade, second grade Mark did when we talk about our spiritual gifts. But shouldn't we? This is just plastic. It's cool, don't get me wrong. But we should be this excited about our spiritual gifts. So if you guys want to join with me and turn to 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, we're going to look at this passage together. I think it might be on the screen, but it might not be. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks of oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I ask that you would open our eyes and let us see it in the way you want us to see it. Lord, I ask that you would have me step aside and that you would speak through me, Lord. The words I speak wouldn't be mine, but would be yours. Lord, I ask that you would do an amazing work today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So this passage has a trap. 
This passage has a trap that I fell into, and I, would, I don't even want you guys to know how much time I spent in this trap. And the funny part is, is that the trap is so minuscule that it doesn't even change the meaning of the passage. But I had to dive in anyway. You see, this passage starts out and says, the end of all things is at hand. And I think that in our 2021 minds, when we hear the end of all things is at hand, isn't the first thing we think of the imminent return of Christ? That's the first thing I think of. I, when I got this passage, that was the first thing I thought that this passage was talking about. But then I started studying. And do you know that this passage, was pro- this, this letter by, first, by Peter was probably written sometime in 60 to 65 A.D.? And if this is talking about the imminent return of Christ, then we've got some problems because that means that Peter has a really short memory. Which, if you've read the scripture, he does. But that's a whole other issue. Um, Peter was there in Luke chapter 21. Jesus says that the destruction of the temple is coming. That there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be earthquakes and Jerusalem is going to fall. And then immediately after telling them all about this stuff, he says, and then I'm coming back. Then the end of all things will happen. Well, as of the year 65, Jerusalem hasn't fallen. The temple hasn't fallen yet. Peter knows this. And not only that, in Matthew chapter 24, he says he's not coming back until the gospel has reached every people group, every language and every people. And at this point in time, Peter is actually probably thinking that's a possibility because Paul is cruising around like preaching the gospel to everybody. I mean, he's on these mission trips, and he's jumping all over the place, and they're hearing these great stories of Paul reaching the world. But it hasn't happened yet. And then there was a third thing that Jesus told Peter. And Peter knows that hasn't happened yet, because at the end of the book of John, what did he say was going to happen? He says that people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. And John wrote that this was Jesus' telling Peter how he was going to die. That he was going to be a martyr. And if Peter's writing letters, guess what that means? He hasn't been martyred yet. There are things that have to happen before Jesus comes back. And so Peter here is writing, the end of all things is at hand. And I don't think he's talking about Jesus' imminent return. So then what is he talking about? Well, as we said earlier, it was prophesied that the fall of Jerusalem was coming. And things have already gotten rough in Jerusalem. They're on the cusp of massive change happening. Their world as they know it is about to fall apart. Economically, things are going to fall apart. Socially, things are going to fall apart. The Christians are going to start being persecuted more than they already are, and people are going to be dispersed all over the place. The world as we know it is about to change. Therefore. Well, that seems a little apropos to us, doesn't it? 
Couldn't this have been written to us 18 months ago? Your world is about to change. Your world has changed. It isn't going to be the same as it was before this. Therefore, in response to this world changing, what are we supposed to do? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What does he say? Your world is changing and things are happening. And how, what is our response supposed to be? Pray. Pray is the first thing he tells us that we're supposed to do. And he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Do you know what I think he's trying to tell us here? He's trying to tell us that everything is about to change. And when everything changes, it is really easy for us to get angry and to get frustrated and to start pointing fingers and to stop missing the big picture and not see what's really going on. And when he says sober-minded, that isn't, he's not saying don't drink. What he's saying is take this seriously. Be of sound mind. Wouldn't it be nice if when you were about to post something on Facebook it said be self-controlled and sober-minded? Don't you think we'd all be a little bit happier if that was the case? He says, we as Christians need to see the reality of the situation. It's very easy for us to see as our world changes all these bad things and get worked up and get angry, and I think we've all seen it. And he's saying take a step back and look at this situation and then pray for what's important. It isn't about making enemies and it isn't about drawing lines in the sand. He's saying take this issue that the world is changing, that things are happening, and see it for what it really is. And then pray. Pray where things need to change. Above all, the world is changing. I need you to pray. But most importantly, keep loving one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. You know, we've had four sermons now. Well, three in whatever percentage I'm done here. I won't tell you guys um, because I know some of you are counting. Uh, three in a chunk of a sermon done today. Every single one of these sermons, we've talked about love. Dr. Neubach talked about loving, using your gifts in love. And Eric Gustafson, he pretty much did 1 Corinthians uh, 11 through 15, the whole thing. Um, and that has 1 Corinthians 13 in it, so he talked a lot about love. And last week, uh, uh, Pastor Don talked about the unity of the body and how we're supposed to love each other and use our gifts within the body. This love thing is a big deal. But did you see this particular request is scary? Above all, love each other earnestly. That means no faking it. 
That means that we can't fake it. We can act like we love each other. Trust me, I know I'm not the only one who's done this. You act like you love everybody, but then there might be that one, two, three, 87 people that just frustrate you. And on the outside, you show that you love them. But you know inside, in your heart, you might not. Am I the only one that's done that? Here, Peter is telling us that isn't acceptable. We need to love each other earnestly, for real. No faking it. He's talking about believers here. We need to love each other in a way that's real. And that's scary. That's the miracle that Todd keeps talking about. That we need the miracle. We need the miracle. Why? Because it's really easy to see everybody's faults. You are not brilliant just because you see somebody else's faults. We're all sinners and we're all broken. Seeing somebody's faults doesn't make you special. It makes you normal. And we need to love each other even if those faults exist. That he goes on and he says, love covers a multitude of sins. First of all, I need to say this, and this is so important. We do not cover up sins. That would be the most unloving thing to do ever. If you've got a brother or sister who's, who's sinning, we need to lovingly call them out. But what I think this is talking about is talking about that annoying person. <laughs> I do a lot of premarital counseling. I actually really like doing premarital counseling. And one of the stories I like to tell is about a horrific, horrible monster of a husband. He would walk into the kitchen, he opens up the, the cabinets and takes the glass out and goes to the other cabinet and grabs a plate and goes to the other cabinet and opens it up and goes to another cabinet. And when he leaves, every cabinet in the entire kitchen is open. We'll call him Mark. And, um, <laughs> and he's this horrible, horrible monster. And his loving, caring wife walks into the kitchen and is aghast because it looks like a tornado has gone through the kitchen. And that wife has two options. She can go downstairs and she can ream out Mark. Or she can take three seconds and walk around and close every one of those cabinets. Which one covers a multitude of sins? Which is the loving response? Now, she can still go downstairs and say, hey, Mark, can you stop being a monster and close a cabinet? And she can do that lovingly, or she can do it attacking. It takes a lot less energy to close the cabinet than it does to create a scene to yell and scream. There are times to do that. But a lot of times it's just easier not to. We cover a multitude of sins with our love. I have another story of that, and once again, there'll be a character named Mark in this. It's just, that's just what it is. Um, uh, I used to work in a ministry where we had a person who was socially awkward. And, then, and, and they rubbed people the wrong way in the ministry. And they were very acoustic in the way that they made suggestions in the ministry. And people who were involved in the ministry, people who were volunteering in the ministry, this person just rubbed them the wrong way. 
And I was in a position of somewhat of an authority position at the time, and this person rubbed me the wrong way. This is a person that I faked loving because they were so frustrating to me. And I know that. And this is something that had happened in, in the past, and I realized my faults. And when other people would come to me, they would start to talk to me about this person. And I did more damage than I did healing. I did more damage than peacekeeping. Instead of trying to mend those relationships, I kind of joined in and said, yeah, they frustrate me too. They frustrate me too. But what was funny was at the same time in the ministry, there was another person who was one of my closest friends who was probably just as acoustic, was probably just as socially awkward. And if somebody came to me and said, hey, this guy is a problem, my first and immediate response was peacekeeping, was how do I mend these relationships? Because I loved my friend. And I covered up, I, I, I covered his sins and tried to take care of them and tried to fix it because I cared when in turn damaging the other person. And I was so immature at the time that I didn't realize I was doing that. That they were almost the same person. And because I had a stronger relationship with one, I was more defensive of them and I protected them more than the other person. And I failed that person. Why? Because I loved my friend more than I loved them. We need to be in relationships as a body where we love each other. Where we expect, where we, our assumption is the best out of somebody. When my friend would make a comment and say, hey, we should do this differently, I thought he was doing it out of love, and this other person, I thought they were attacking me and attacking the leader of the group, attacking the group as a whole, and I saw what they were doing as negative, but my friend, I thought, was trying to make us better. When the reality is they probably both were doing the same thing. And I was too immature to see it. We're called to love each other earnestly. If times are changing, if things are rough, we should be the place where we love each other more. I'm not faking it. We should show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This church actually shows hospitality really well. It's so cool to see people interacting and inviting people over to their homes, inviting people over and being part of what we're doing and doing life together. But here Peter's calling us as Christians to love on each other and to do so without complaining. I just have one thing to say about, the, about hospitality. If you're somebody who likes to show hospitality, who invites people over to their home, who likes to love and serve other people, that's awesome. I want to challenge you. Get out of your comfort zone. If you're married with kids, I want to encourage you to show hospitality to some of the singles that we have around here. If you're a single person, I want to encourage you to show hospitality to some of the older individuals in this church. I think that there's a really good thing where we can show hospitality and show love to our circle. 
I think moms getting together and, and, and building each other up and loving each other is great. And, I, and I'm not saying we should stop doing that. But I think we're really easy to get into our ruts. If we were in the high school youth group, I would use the word click, but we're far too mature and older to use that, so I won't use that word at all. But we get ourselves into our groups that we're really comfortable with, and we forget to invite those outside of our group. We're called to show hospitality to everyone. This is specifically talking to believers. And I want to encourage you that whatever you're doing as far as hospitality goes, push yourself. Push yourself. Get out of your comfort zone and show hospitality to somebody who you don't normally show hospitality to. Because I think that's what we're called to do. As each has received a gift. Oh, that's right. I forgot we're talking about gifts today, aren't we? <laughs> We've gone all this time. and We haven't talked about a single gift like hospitality or love or prayer or anything like that. Um, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varying grace. Whoever speaks, speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. And whoever serves, serves by the strength that God has supplies, that God supplies. If you're a believer, you've been given a gift. I think it is so encouraging that week one of this, when Dr. Norbeck preached, uh, we had 50-some-odd spiritual gift surveys, and they were gone. So we got more week two, and they were gone. And we had to get more this week because you guys want to know what your spiritual gifts are. That's cool. That's really exciting. And I'm so thankful that you guys want to know what your gifts are. But if you know what your gifts are, it can't sit on the mantle. Dr. Norbeck said you need to open it. Mine was sitting there already opened. You've got to take it off the mantle and you actually got to use it. That's what we're called to do. He says that we need to, we've received a gift so we need to use it to serve each other in the body. And he says to be good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that term. In fact, I think if we look at the last four weeks, actually we can even say the last five weeks, we've had five different people preach. We had Todd the week before he left. We had Dr. Murrayback. We had Eric Gustafson. We had Don Erickson and myself. And I think all five of us have the gift of preaching. You guys may be doubting that right now, but that's fine. Um, we all have the gift of preaching. But if you remember, think about how different all of us preach. You know, when Todd preaches, it's almost like a fireside chat. He's just kind of like having a conversation with us, you know, and it's very relational and stuff. But then you get Dr. Norbeck, and Dr. Norbeck has probably had his sermon written from like, since like the last 20 years. It was already ready because he knew he was preaching. And he's like super prepared, and he's got this economy of words that I personally could never even remotely grasp. I mean, he's got it word for word written out, and I think it's wonderful, and I'm just like, oh, I want to preach like that, but that is so not who I am. And you have Don Erickson who preached, and Don Erickson, I figured it out, between Todd, Dr. Norbeck, Eric Gustafson, and myself, has more, years, more time preaching than all of us combined. 
And so he's got experience, and he's got, you know, he's got the skill and this way that he talks, which he just feels like he comes up here with authority. We've been given gifts, but just because you've been given the same gift as somebody else doesn't mean you need to use it the same way. God has made us all different. And the way that I preach and the way Dr. Norva preaches or the way that Andy preaches or the way that Todd preaches, we all do it differently and it's the same gift coming from the same spirit done in a different way. Amen? Isn't that awesome? So if you went home and you took your spiritual gift test and you said, oh man, I have the gift of administration, which would, which would scare me if it said I had that. Um, and, 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 and you think, oh, I don't want to be a pencil pusher and I don't want to do this. It doesn't mean that that's what you have to be means that God's giving you this gift and he wants to use it within your personality. We've been called to be stewards. Last week, Claudia and Don came up and talked about their ministry and she gave this quote and she said, she said, God doesn't call you into anything or doesn't give you a gift to do something without taking into account your stupidity already. God knows what you've been through. He knows who you are and he's given you a gift knowing that that's who you are. And he's given it to you to say that I want, as we're going to read in a few seconds, for you to use this gift so that I'm glorified, not you. It says in Corinthians that he puts this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the power is not from us, but from him. You've been given a gift. You've been called to use it. You can't let it just sit on the mantle. You've got to pull it down so you can use it. And use it as God's intended you to use it. I, <laughs> when, when I got asked to do this sermon, I was looking at the notes that Todd had kind of taken to sort of say where we're going with this. And I, and I read them and I said, oh, Todd, I don't want to do the commercial. I don't want to be the guy who comes up here and says, oh, you guys all need to work and serve in the church and you know, be that commercial guy. Because that is so not who I want to be. And the funny thing is, it isn't who we are as a church. In fact, when, we started, when Todd started the church, you know, he used to tell people, if you need to just sit in the back and you just need to get healthy, that's what we want you to do. If, if, if you just need to come here and you just need to, to, to figure out where you are with God, that's fine. If you just need to be anonymous, that's fine. But I've looked at the spiritual gift surveys and I've read the New Testament and I've looked at all the spiritual gifts and did you know that attendance is not a spiritual gift? If you've been sitting here for seven years, you've got a spiritual gift you should use and sitting isn't it. When I first became a Christian, I immediately got involved in a Bible study that very quickly the leader of the Bible study couldn't do it anymore. And it fell onto me. I'm a brand new Christian and I'm leading a Bible study. Um, I don't know how that worked out. I'm sure I taught heresy. Um, at least every week. Um, um, but I did it because it needed to be done. And as I graduated high school, I felt I wanted to be involved in ministry. And so I went and I was, I, I'd been discipled by my pastor, my youth pastor. And I said, I want to go help with the junior high group. I don't want to be a pastor. I told everybody this. I don't want to be a pastor. Uh, I just want to be the really good leader. I want to be the volunteer that, that, that you can depend on. 
And so I worked with that youth pastor for a long time. And then I went to, to, to Village Church of Barrington, and I worked with Jim Crowder. And literally, I kind of got like this internship with, with Terry Kamerska at Cary Grove and, and Jim Crowder at, at VCB on what it meant to do youth ministry and how it looks differently. And these two guys were totally different people doing youth ministry and seeing God using both of them successfully. And it was so much fun to be involved and to be investing in the lives of students and seeing lives changed for the gospel and seeing lives changed for the kingdom of God. And I think about the first Bible study I led when I was at VCB, or at, uh, uh, at Cary. And to this day, every single guy in some way, shape, or form is involved in ministry at their church. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are, are leading ministries. Some of them are, are doing other things. And it's because I was so excited about serving the body. When I started dating my wife, Katie, it was important to, for me that she would serve with me. And so, like, I know this sounds like the lamest date ever, but uh, I said, hey, what are you doing Friday night? I'm going to go run around a forest reserve with a bunch of high school students with glow sticks on, um, and we're going to try to hope that they don't run into trees. Do you want to come help? <laughs> and she said, yes. <laughs> um, and... Uh, um, she had kids tackling her, thinking she was a student. Cause she, um, and, uh, but she got involved in the ministry. And she started using her gifts in the ministries that I was a part of. She's very organized, and she's got all these administrative gifts that, that I couldn't even fathom having. having um, like, you know, like writing stuff down. It's weird. Lists and checklists. So weird. Um, and... Uh, she made our ministry better. She made my ministry better. And she's got, she, she, she was involved in drama and, and music and worship at the church and in the youth group. And it was important for us to do ministry together. And we found joy in that. And so when I'm telling you that you can use your gifts at the church, I'm not trying to sell you something. God has given us these gifts and there's joy there. There's joy in using them. It's like when you put that puzzle piece in and it goes in the right spot. It's where it belongs. We've been given gifts and we've got this, we've got this body here at the church. And all of us should be using our gifts together. It's how God wired us. As Eric said, if you're the big toe in the body of Christ, God's got a purpose for you. We are called to be good stewards of these gifts that we've received from God and to use them in a way to further the church. And so if you found out you have some gifts, because you took the test, and you think, I want to serve somewhere, what do you do? Well, we heard in the announcements that they need some help in kids' ministry. If that's your gifting, wonderful. But if it's not, we're not telling you you need to go and do nursery just because there's a void that needs to be filled. We want you to be in a spot to use your gifts well. So I don't know how to use my gifts. Well, maybe talk to me, talk to Todd, talk to Barb. She can tell you 
where there's needs in the church. Or maybe you have this gift and you really have a passion that you want to do a ministry that doesn't even exist here in the church. We have a divorce ministry that's starting up in the church that came out of that. There was a void and somebody wanted to fill that and said, hey, we need to be doing a divorce ministry and that's starting up this fall. I don't know what your heart is. But I do know that we are called, called to be good stewards of God's grace. I don't want to guilt you into this. In fact, a lot of you, if you've ever been asked by me to volunteer or be voluntold to be a part of a ministry, um, I, uh, I try to give you an out. In fact, I'm one of the people who will come up to you and say, no is a viable option, and then I'll ask. <laughs> because I don't want to pressure somebody into doing something because of my position. But the reality is, is that there's so much joy in serving God. There's so much joy in serving the body. He's given us these gifts for a reason, and I'm, I'm a broken record at this point. Have you figured that out? I'm saying the same thing over and over again. But you know what? <laughs> The last couple of weeks, I've told people that we're starting service earlier on September, what date was it? 5th. Somebody came today at, 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 uh, at 10 o'clock thinking that it started. So I know for a fact that people don't listen. <laughs> All of this to be said... We are called to serve, why? In order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever. We use our gifts in the body so that he gets the glory, not us. I will be honest with you, I brought this over to a friend's house, why? Because I wanted the glory. I wanted my friends to be jealous that I had this at my house and they didn't. But when God gives us a gift, we get it for his glory. Not for our own. This passage is bookend with the reasons. Our world is changing. The end of what we once knew is at hand. Because of that, pray, love, serve, show hospitality, and use your gifts for God's glory. Because the times are changing, pray, love one another, be hospitable, serve one another, and use your gifts for God's glory. It's that simple. Does that preach today? Is that the world we're in today? Has our world changed? Should we be praying? Should we be hospitable to each other? Should we be serving each other with our gifts for God's glory? Absolutely. I want to encourage you taken the tests, if you've 
figuring that you aren't using your gifts. Ask around. See where we need help. See where your gifts fit in. If you're serving, and you're serving a ton, or you're serving some, and you don't think you can serve anymore, fine. That's great. Thank you for serving. Thank you for making our church better by serving. But if your spiritual gift has been attendance, I think you need to find a new one. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to love each other earnestly. Lord, that we would use our gifts in a way that glorify you and glorify you exclusively. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to look at your gifts. And Lord, I ask that this would be an encouragement, not a guilt, that we get to be a part of what you're doing here at the bridge. Lord, we want to glorify you in all that we do. In your precious name we pray. Amen.